Unleavened Bread Ministries presents From your hands, your feet, your side Unleavened Bread Bible Studies with David Eels Can quench my thirsting soul Purest water make me whole Let your streams of mercy flow Oh Jesus, I trust in you Greetings, saints. Many blessings to you. Thank you for joining us today for the Unleavened Bread Bible Study. And thank you, Father, for making this opportunity. Thank you for opening our eyes uh, to the things that are coming. And uh, we know that you're working all things together for our good. And we love you and we praise you, Father. Thank you for the victory that Jesus gave to us at the cross. Amen. All right, <clears throat> I'm going to continue with Beasts to Bring in the Harvest, number three. In this first revelation, we called it Seek Me a Now. <clears throat> Tiana Fire, 118.23. I started feeling God's presence and had this urge to write down what was coming to me in the Spirit, so I did. He said, I am wanting vessels who want to remain until the end to go through all that is about to come on the world. In my peace, love, and my joy, manifesting and witnessing to the world of my Son in his power and glory and might. This world is desperate for my Son, and my Son is who they are going to get. All alive on the earth will be given the choice to reject or accept me before everything is destroyed. All that will remain is my spirit. Everything else will be destroyed and already is, for it is about to manifest. Well, as we know, when we read the end of the book, we see that this is true. Uh, the time is now to seek me with everything that we that you are. With your whole mind and strength, you are to be constantly focusing on me, setting your mind on things above and not on the things on the earth. I am the only satisfaction and glory. I want to commune with you. I desire you to be one with my son. I have already done it all, but you need to agree with me and go along with what I have already prepared. Your life is for me. Your mind, soul, spirit, and body were created for me and my glory. This world and everything in it were created for me to express my love and everything and everlasting grace. I am everything good and there is nothing but me. Well, we know 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty-seven through 28 says, for he put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he saith all things are put in subjection, it is evident that he is accepted uh, who did subject all things unto him. And when all things have been subjected unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subjected to him that did subject all things unto him, that God may be all in all. Hmm. 
soul. Continuing, the time is coming and already is here. I am here and I am coming. I am increasing myself in those who want me. I want you more than you know and more than you could ever want me. I want to grow you as quickly as you will allow me. Stop thinking about and spending your time on physical things. I provide all your needs. Your spiritual needs are greater than your physical needs. Seek spiritual food, not physical. You are blessed when in my presence and praising me. Sacrificing yourself brings the greatest joy. I am life. Awaken to me. I live in you and through you. Focus on me. Remain steadfast and hold on to me until the end. I am coming and have already come. Because that's, of course, because he doesn't live in time. You see, every second is another moment closer to eternity. Every second focused on me has an increase of me in you. Seek me. I am closer than your breath, and I desire to increase. Allow me. I know you more than you know yourself. I love you more than you can comprehend, but chose me in full, but choose me in full. I want your whole heart, your whole strength and might. Without me, you can do nothing. With me, we together can and will do all things above what your carnal mind can understand. Choose me. Focus on me now and forever. If you don't spend your time with me now, how will you spend your time with me for eternity? If you don't serve me and do my will now, how will you serve me for eternity? I choose you and want you here with me in full, not in part. Come to me for your daily bread. Every moment that goes by that you aren't communing with me are moments missed of my increase and my spiritual blessings. Only I can satisfy your soul. Only I can make you breathe and your heart to beat. I am. Seek me now. All right, and we received this uh, through Debbie Finsky, 116.23, A Sudden Move of God. During our morning Zoom meeting, the Lord allowed me to see in the Spirit those whom he would call the lowliest of people and those addicted to every kind of sin. I could see the Spirit of the Lord suddenly coming upon them, moving in their spirits. I could discern their intense desire for God. These were dry, needy, and homeless people on the streets. Well, I believe these represent spiritually homeless people as as well, you know. I could see them dropping uh, to their knees and raising their hands to heaven with a sudden, with a sudden but awesome desire for Jesus to truly want to know him. I am doing this. I am doing the work. 
but even my people, who know my truths and are walking in my ways, will see and will wonder if such persons could be touched in such a way. But I say to you, what a remnant I am bringing forth. So I warn you, I warn my people to be prepared. Be ready to receive my gift to minister to those who I will allow you to run into as you go about your business of the day. And I say, do not let their appearance stop you from being moved by my spirit to minister by my spirit as I bring you face to face with them. Be alert and do the work of God. Even those affluent ones who have sat before Bible teachers hearing my word preached and receiving it with joy and walking in my ways to the best of their knowledge now will suddenly receive revelation from my spirit that they are yet so empty and needy of the deeper truths of my word. They are going to suddenly desire more of me and they will seek me with all their hearts, praying with earnest out of a sudden yearning desire, which I will suddenly impart to them. Well, we know, folks, in revivals in the past, sinners and self-righteous people suddenly, for no apparent reason, have been overcome with grief for their sins and cried out to God. So we're going to see a greater revival, okay? And many will find you and will truly find me through the ministry and revelation truths you have received in me through my word and are so freely giving out. Be ready, my people, for I will suddenly do a quick work. Have you not heard? The harvest is ready to be picked. Therefore, I say to you, stay prepared in me and go forth intentionally into my harvest field. Drop all things that would hinder you from being my vessels, for I have called you. And she prays, Thank you, Father. Bless us all in Jesus' name to receive this word from you and to move with your spirit to bring many into your kingdom and into your eternal kingdom truths. Amen. Well, one of the things that's going to bring this to pass is what people are seeing in the world. Trouble, tribulation. They th they uh, have not thought we were in the end times. God will change all that. This is, uh, we call this meteors falling from the sky. Winnie Asageda, 2.14.23. And she said, our daughter, Zoe, who is six years old, woke up saying she had a crazy dream. She said meteors were falling from the sky and through our ceiling. She said one fell on my lap, but I wasn't harmed because Jesus protected me. So we have been told that we are going through an area of the galaxy in which many meteors would fall to earth and also going through the tail of Planet X would have this effect, okay? She also said she caught a couple in her hands, and it caused her no harm either. Well, 
Zoe means God's life. And those who have God's life will be protected supernaturally through their faith. Amen? Yes. She doesn't really know about the things that are about to come, so I believe the Lord has been giving her dreams. Amen. That is true. So, I'm going to share this with you. It's uh, called, Our Entire Solar System is Changing Rapidly, but nobody is really talking about it. This is from Song of Ascent, 12-12-22. Strange sounds. All the major bodies of our solar system are changing rapidly, but nobody is talking about it. Well, we know historically that Planet X affects all the planets. Um, Haggai 2 and 6 says, For thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. So uh, it goes on to say, we are in the upswing of solar cycle 25. Could it be related? Yes, of course. Um, there's a link here you can look at. We're seeing rapid observable changes to almost every single planet. Pluto's atmosphere has recently collapsed. And there's links to all of these I'm going to mention to you. Neptune's storms have suddenly begun rotating backwards. And the planet is mysteriously cooling down. Uranus polar regions were visibly flaring. Jupiter has recently experienced a 700-degree temperature impulse originating from its northern pole, and its great red spot is fading. Mars is suddenly displaying seismic activity. Venus' planetary winds have increased their velocity by 33% in the last 20 years. It goes on from there, and uh, we've recently observed large-scale changes in the ice cover on Jupiter's moon Europa, large-scale changes in the polar ice cap on Mars. Saturn is losing its rings. A mysterious darkening of the atmosphere of Venus. Unusual changes in the temperature and pressure of the atmosphere of Neptune. A brightening of the atmosphere of Jupiter. Here on Earth, our own magnetosphere is rapidly losing its strength as our magnetic poles continue to race away from their usual positions wreaking havoc on animal migrations. See all the beached whales this year, as well as the spike in reports of unusual bird sightings. Things have gotten to the point where we are now updating our magnetic models yearly, and soon there will be zones of flux broken bad enough to cause real danger to flying due to constant magnetic reconnection. Our aurora are reaching levels of intensity not normally seen with recent high energy pink aurora being observed. 
the fundamental electromagnetic nature of this planet, electromagnetism, responsible for a variety of effects on life, most especially cardiac and pulmonary health in humans, is changing rapidly. Volcanic activity on our planet is currently at a record, with more and more volcanoes showing a concerning lift, erupting, or showing increases in lava flow. Every single active volcano along the Pacific Rim is showing increased activity. Mount Rainier looks ready soon. The sisters in Oregon are showing lift. Given only one of two data points, it would be easy to discount the events as isolated and unrelated outliers with no significance. Taken together, however, the total body of evidence becomes impossible to ignore, and once the presumption is made that this information is known by our leaders, pretty much explains the motivations for their actions. Everything is changing. Nobody is telling you. In fact, they built us a world where these questions are taboo where every answer leads you away from the glaring obvious truth. William Casey, former director of the CIA, upon being asked what the goal of the agency was in 1981, said, We'll know our disinformation program is complete when everything the American public believes is false. We are in the upswing of solar cycle 25. All planets are connected to the sun. In other words, by what NASA calls magnetic flux ropes, stable energetic connections exchange energy in the form of a charged particle stream. These transfer energy and charged material to the planets and drive their rotation. Because the planet's rotation is tied to this inductive transfer, it is likely, it is highly likely that during the most pronounced moment of a magnetic pole excursion, the Earth would stop its rotation. This sounds like crazy talk until you read historical accounts of the sun rising in the wrong place. <laughs> yeah. Um, and there's, there's an earthquake um, core relation video here I'm going to post. Um, and this one addresses both, that is, earthquakes and core changes. This could have bearing on the big quakes that are coming, they say. Amen. I believe it. Terra Watch says this, why has the Earth's spinning inner core slowed down? Kate Rill Ravelous, uh, 2 Earth's inner core appears to have stopped spinning faster than its mantle. New measurements suggest that the rotation of the inner core has slowed in recent decades and is now about to reverse direction spinning more slowly than the mantle. The finding helps to explain recent changes in Earth's magnetic field and the length of day. 
The Earth's solid inner core is contained within the liquid outer core, enabling it to rotate differently from the Earth itself. Its spin is driven by the magnetic field generated in the outer core and balanced by gravitational effects within Earth's mantle. And I'll put a link here too. By analyzing earthquake seismic waves that have passed through the inner core, researchers were able to calculate how the spin of the inner core has changed since the 1960s. They found that seismic waves have tended to follow a very similar path since about 2009, suggesting that the inner core rotation has paused. The data showed something similar occurred in the early 1970s, indicating that the inner core appears to change in a similar way every few decades. The new finding, which is published in Nature Geoscience, is helping scientists to better understand the interaction between different layers of the Earth and the impact that processes deep inside the Earth can have on the surface, including the gradual increase in length of day, adding a fraction of a millisecond each year since 2020. Uh, Nick Ogasa, uh, on January 23rd, 2023, said this, We see strong evidence that the inner core has been rotating faster than the surface, but by around 2009 it nearly stopped, says geophysicist Xiao Dong, Song of Peking University, in Beijing. Now, it is gradually moving in the opposite direction. Oh. Now this is uh, was sent to us by Missy, and she said, uh, Uniform depth earthquakes unnatural. Yes. Most of the earthquakes in the photo below are unconfirmed, and that's because they're probably not earthquakes. Okay, 10 kilometers deep. How could they all be 10 kilometers deep? They're in a row going across the country. Okay, and Dutch Sense uh, isn't showing most of them in his reports that I've seen. Well, I'm just going to say if they're all 10 kilometers and they're all in a row and they are not natural earthquakes, but to prepare for earthquakes. I'll try to explain that in a minute. I'm looking at the map here, and they go all the way down what we would call the New York-Alabama anomaly, or a fault line, okay? Going from the northeast of the country down to the Gulf, okay? Uh, so this is the New York-Alabama fault where Sandy and other uh and others dreamed the earthquakes would start crossing America. Uh, all of these being uniformly 10 kilometers deep show that they are not natural earthquakes. But the deep state is attempting to make that fault fail. Uh, over by Charlie's house, which we know, 
in the eastern, uh, where there is an eastern fault, was being bombed one night. He and his sister went out there and watched it uh, to make sure that it fails when the time comes. And by that, and by fracking, they are preparing to cause quakes to go where they want them to go. Um, Turkey and Syria lost tens of thousands so far from the tectonic weapons of the deep state. It is started. The earth plates are ultimately being moved by God. The Lord told Ken Dewey, I am shaking many things and moving things in the ground around, rearranging them. Many changes will come suddenly. Get ready, for the time of my great miracles are come, and many will move to do exploits for me. Well, the Lord is coming for the bride as this earthquake war proceeds. Amen. The alliance under Trump repatriated the stolen gold and returned it to the nations, and the deep state wants it back. According to Operation Disclosure, the Kazarian Mafia has been reduced to threatening use of earthquake weapons to force countries to hand over their gold. By the way, they stole it. <laughs> so it was repatriated and returned to these countries, and now they want it back, and they're planning earthquakes to do that. So, Indonesian authorities tell us that they are being told to hand over gold and other natural resources or a very large earthquake will occur later this month. That's this month. Okay. The threats came from the Dutch embassy in Jakarta and it was passed on to a high-level official in the Ministry of Foreign Affairs of Indonesia in Jakarta. Indonesian intelligence sources say Okay, this came, uh, we got this from Marie Kelton to 1323. Washington Monument crumbles. I had a vision of it being cloudy and foggy around the water that is by the Washington Monument. And all of a sudden, the vision zoomed in above the water towards the monument. And then the ground shook like an earthquake had happened. And the Washington Monument cracked in the middle, and the top half fell over. I saw this multiple times. That means it's going to come to pass, according to Joseph in the Bible, right? And this this is the New York, Alabama fault that we were speaking of, the eastern fault that we believe starts it all. It's going to go all the way across the country. Um... Okay, this is the UAE deal, earthquake signed. This came from Michelle Rogers, 10-23-20. On January the 28th, 2020, President Trump held a news conference in D.C. with Netanyahu in which the UAE deal was announced. The announcement included plans to give over more territory to the Palestinians, provided they met certain conditions. <laughs> well, you know what this causes, right? 
So just about two hours later, a 7.7 earthquake struck in the Caribbean and was felt all the way to Miami, Florida, where Trump has his famous Mar-a-Lago resort. The quake was so strong that it shook the city to the point that people had to evacuate high-rise buildings. I felt in my spirit that the 7.7 quake corresponded to Isaiah 7 and 7. Thus saith the Lord, It shall not stand, neither shall it come to pass. So that is, of course, uh, speaking of this dividing of the nation of Israel, which is, by the way, a sign of the dividing of spiritual New Testament Israel. Okay. Okay, here's one uh, that was given to Taryn Ezell, 2-2023, and it was called Tennessee Cracked in Half. Hmm. I dreamed I was sitting in the car looking out the window as we were driving. I was asking the Lord when these things should be regarding the tribulation because of what was going on at the Asbury Revival. I was praying as we drove to Cracker Barrel. When we got to Cracker Barrel and went inside, a huge earthquake happened while we were sitting there. I knew in the dream that this was the beginning of the days foretold, days that would have to be shortened to save the elect. I realized that Cracker Barrel had been moved by the quake all the way to downtown Maryville. I saw a huge, gaping crack, miles wide in width, and smoke smoldering. There was damage everywhere. The look on people's faces was that of horror. I tried to call Matt, and uh, we talked briefly. Then I called my dad, and he said he'd heard about it, but nothing had happened where he was yet. I was given the knowledge that more were coming. More earthquakes would break the U.S. and the world apart. Yes, we've reported on these from the Lord many years now. And they're going to go across this country uh, from the Eastern Fault to the uh, New Madrid and then back to this Tennessee uh, area fault lines and and at the same time go all the way to the west coast okay so destruction was everywhere in my location from just one earthquake it had cracked tennessee in half and then i woke up well at least two fault lines one on both sides of the tennessee valley uh will separate tennessee in our dreams, it will be like a boat-shaped piece of land in the water. And um, we're in the middle of the boat. Cutting off the flesh brings earthquakes. This was given to Marie Kelton, 8-1-22. I dreamed that I was at Amber's house. I was telling a few people that were there about an earthquake that happened. I was telling them about the fault line, but I couldn't remember what it was called. So I grabbed a math book 
from off of Amber's bookshelf, and I looked it up. It said that the fault line was called stratosphere. Well, in the natural, there is no fault line, I don't believe, that's called stratosphere, unless it's a minor one that we don't know anything about. But uh, the stratosphere, of course, is that area above the Earth where planes fly and so on and so forth, you know. And uh, by the way, they can do a lot of damage from those planes in the stratosphere. Yes, they can. Uh, the dream changed, and this time I was standing in an open area on the grass. Well, the grass represents the flesh, according to 1 Peter 1.24, for all flesh is as grass, and all the glory thereof as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, the flower falleth. I was cutting ham with my with a meat slicer that I use at work. And I believe it could be representing cutting off the unclean flesh. <laughs> I was uh, talking to a person and I was telling them that I was afraid to cut the meat because I thought it would start the earthquake. Well, uh, does that mean that there will be a cutting of the flesh, a cutting off of the flesh through these earthquakes? And that that's the reason that they're coming? I believe so. Uh, we must, of course, cast down our fears of death to self and, and cut off our flesh, right? The earthquakes are coming regardless, and uh, we need God's divine protection. She went on to say, I knew in the dream that the area I was in would be the last place the earthquake would hit. And then I woke up. All right. Matthew 24, 6 and 7 says this. And you shall bear, you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled. For these things must needs come to pass. But the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines and earthquakes in divers places. Yes, indeed. And these earthquakes will inevitably cause uh, tsunamis around the globe, too. Amen. Well, God is in control. God knows what we need. And he's working all things together for our good. Do you believe it? Amen. Our God is a consuming fire. He is uh, faithful to do what is necessary to cause his sons and daughters to grow up in him and come out of the world. Amen. Okay, here's a gigantic wave coming. Samuel fire two twenty two twenty three. A gigantic wave coming. I saw Tiana, myself, and many other UBM brethren standing together on the beach as a group. Well, Abraham's seed are as the sands of the sea, right? And behind us, spread all around, were a large crowd of different people that I didn't know. The place was completely full. I saw from afar a gigantic wave coming. The wave was about... 42 stories high. 
Okay, so the beast will persecute the saints for 42 months. Revelation 13, 4 to 5. And they worshiped the dragon because he gave his authority unto the beast. Okay, the dragon, of course, is the beast of the first three and a half years, and the nondescript beast here is the second three and a half years. And they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is likened to the beast? Who is able to war with him? And there was given to him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And there was given to him authority to continue forty and two months. So this forty-two could represent, and this high wave could represent, a persecution coming against the saints. All the people that I didn't know began freaking out. Some were screaming and crying, and others were trying to run away. All those people were so scared and shocked. All of the UBM brethren were so joyful and excited for this wave to come. It was as if we had all been waiting for this wave. Well, you might say, that's weird. No, it's not. You know, for us, this wave will bring victory for the kingdom of God in that it will separate the tares from the wheat which will shine forth in the kingdom of their father, right? Matthew thirteen forty through 43. As therefore the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be in the end of the world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom. We, we, we've been watching this. Uh, all that cause stumbling and them that do iniquity. And 42, here's that number again. And shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, notice what comes at the end of the verse 42, as in 42 months. Okay, 43. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He that hath ears, let him hear. See, so it, it would be time to celebrate. We're getting close. So for those who are dead to self, there's no fear of the beast. Uh, the end of this 42 months is the coming of the Lord for his saints. Hmm. Some of the crowd kept trying to run away to save themselves, presumably from the beast and his plan, you know. Uh, a few others fell on their knees in repentance, crying to God because they knew they couldn't save themselves or do anything. Yes, because complete control over the world was handed over to the beast for a period of time to bring the, cru the saints to their crucifixion, as throughout all history God has done. So God will bring repentance through judgment to his elect, right? As the wave came, the brethren had special equipment for the water, and they had experience and had been trained to ride the wave. So they were prepared and knew exactly what to do. When the wave came, we were gently lifted up, and we just surfed the wave, riding it, and some were just walking on the water. Amen. 
uh, spiritually speaking, of course, and, and no doubt that God will do anything, including physically walking on the water in these coming days. Okay. First uh, Thessalonians 4 and 13 says, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we that are alive and that are left unto the coming of the Lord shall in no wise precede them that are fallen asleep. There, uh, there will be those who live through all of this, right? Uh, the last enemy to be overcome, of course, is death, meaning you overcome the first enemies that you come to, like the beast and the harlot and so on and false prophets and so on and so forth, and then you can overcome death, right? So everyone else was wiped out from the wave, but us brethren were all calm and having a fun and had a great time. Hmm. Well, Psalm 37, 18 through 20. The Lord knoweth the days of the perfect, and their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be put to shame in the time of evil, and in the days of famine they shall be satisfied. But the wicked shall perish, and the enemies of the Lord shall be as the fat of lambs. They shall consume, in smoke shall they consume away. So this is uh, two visions of a wave of destruction given to Marie Kelton, 217.23. Vision number one. During our evening meeting, I had a vision of a city with a few tall buildings in it. There were white cars that were parked in the city, representing the vessels of the righteous who are in the rest. Right? They were parked, so they were resting. I then saw a huge wave come in from the right and flood the city. Well, we know judgment begins in the house of God, and then the wicked are judged, as we will see. First Peter 4.17 says, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begin first at us, what shall be the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? Amen. Vision number two. Later on in the meeting, I had another vision of people in a city. The people were trying to run away from a huge wave of water that was coming towards them. Uh, fat chance, right? Well, God is going to give his people a three-year grace period during these times to work in revival for his people and kingdom, and all provision will be given. Amen. And this is also Samuel Fire eleven twenty six twenty two, Christ the only sure foundation. A prophetic word. My presence will manifest the provision and care for you to work and to sow for my kingdom. Be prepared as you can feel the quickening and the power to flow all over. Sensitivity to me allows much of an increase and anointing. Keep in the faith and remain vigilant to speak out the word and truth. Crush the lies and enemy and keep cutting off the world and the carnal and remain separate in sanctification. 
The foundation is Christ being rooted and deep without any form or function of doubt or weakness, strong and zealous uh, with fervent love to me. Have everything on the complete and clean foundation of my word. Take hold and do not let yourself be moved by any distraction. Those who are stronger and solidified in me and my son and in the power of my word can then be revealed and grow with the manifestation of the hidden manna. This amazing and wonderful and exciting treasure will be like finding a rare and precious gem that anything that has been encountered before. As such a treasure, you would be diligent to share or speak, as everything would come from me. Pray, as I know of your desires, and delight in me, but pray that you cannot lose your hold on the perfect, clear, and strong foundation of my word. All and everything you have hidden and done for me shall be openly honored and given back to me, not by works or by boasting, but to do so without seeking any fame or recognition. When you offer and uplift me in everything, I accept and reward it before the next thought. Think on the spiritual aspect of the creation I made for you. I am, and you are, and we are already together. I saw how there is a spiritual meaning to the existence we know. The vessels, the earth, and all the darkness is like a journey through the maze, uh, Samuel said, to find a way to the exit, like a type of game to get closer and walk with our Father. We encounter and experience more and grow deeper and more advanced in our trials, yet the whole time and until eternity, it is as though the Almighty Father had already laid it out before we existed. His delight is this constant relationship. He desires to work through all of our lives. Debbie Fenske received this word on 2.10.23. I have them in my hands. You are on the right path, my children, this straight and narrow path. You must consign yourselves to remaining on this path. Keep your mind and your eyes and your feet always going forward in me. You must not deviate from this path, neither to the left or to the right. Even as I have chosen you, so you have chosen me when you walk this path. This path is a high-priority walk of sanctification. This, my children, is my great divide. Your walk of total sanctification from this world has you entering my great set-apart high calling. My grace is and will always be sufficient for you. My grace keeps you desiring to press on into me and into the eternal truths and glorious wonders that lie ahead of you. 
I sovereignly am taking away from you all burdens, worry, fear, and constant wondering about those you love who are on the other side. I say to you that you need not worry or be bothered about them, as I have them in my hands. My light will be shining on them as I bring them along the path set for them. Many will also walk my straight and narrow path that I will set before them. They will desire more of me through my word. They will desire my ways and my will and how to cross my great divide and on the, onto the path of total sanctification. They will understand. Many will not know how to receive my divine truths but my grace will enable them to walk in what they know. They too are in my hands. So, my children, rejoice in your faithful one, for it will all be good. I have not and will not reject your prayers. By faith know that these have chosen me, and they will not be without my mercy. As you know, the present evil will become so much worse great evil and darkness, but all who are mine are in my hands, no matter what befalls them. Some to martyrdom, some I will take up to me, that they escape the sting of death. Stay on course, stay strong in your faith and in your trust in me and my words to you, which will always be your shield and your protection. Good words, all of them. Uh, thank you, Father, for encouraging the saints to trust in you and continue walking forward and also to concentrate on sanctification. This is most important now because God is going to use and he's going to protect those who are sanctified. Father, we praise you. We thank you that you're going to finish the good work you started in us. We believe it. We see the end from the beginning. We know that Jesus made reconciliation and that he uh, became an exchange for our life, his life for our life. And now we have his life. It's been given and we receive it by faith. And we see Jesus in the mirror, Second Corinthians 3 and 18. And uh, we know we're transformed into that same image because of that faith of seeing the end from the beginning and seeing Jesus in the mirror. We don't live anymore. Christ lives in us. And because of our faith and our good confession in the sight of many witnesses, the Lord himself will bring it to pass. Thank you, Lord, for this, these exhortations. Help the brethren to study these and uh, to and also take the warnings that we've received and uh, to study these and uh, to uh, seek first your kingdom and your righteousness in these days. We have no time for anything else. Many of the things that are physical will not be here. Anything that can be shaken will be shaken uh, so that those things that cannot be shaken will remain. And we know that that's the kingdom. Ultimately, 
There won't be a kingdom of this world. It will be the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And uh, thank you so much, Father, for what you're doing. Thank you for showing us these wonderful things that you promise, that you're always with us. You're always protecting us and always blessing us as we walk by faith in you. And we are coming more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. What an exciting thing that'll happen in these days. It'll be fully manifest in these days. Jesus will walk the earth again in these bodies. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Lord, we're looking forward to that. We want to see the work of Jesus go on around the world. And that is meaning that, of course, uh, you will be in the people of God doing this great work and bringing in this great harvest before the end. Thank you, Father, for the harvest. We can see that it's actually already begun. We're excited about what we're seeing going on around the world of people coming to the Lord. They're seeing that, oh, <laughs> we are in the end times. Look and look and look. Yes, God is manifesting it to many people that they can see the, the very height of wickedness. They can see that Satan is in the earth and very evil, and very wicked, and willing to kill everyone that he is possibly able to through his emissaries. So, Father, we thank you, Lord. It is a very dangerous place. Danger is, of course, uh, uh, a point of view, okay? But uh, there is no danger to those that walk in the Lord, uh, even if you change kingdoms, if you, even if you leave this one and enter fully, into God's kingdom, there's no danger. The precious in the sight of the Lord are the death is the best death of his saints. So praise God. You know, we can't lose. We really can't. Uh, we need to continue to walk and abide in him so that we continue to grow in him to 30, 60, and 100 fold fruit. And we can't lose if we do this. However, uh, we know also in the parable of the sower that three out of four who at first received the word fell away. And yes, they did lose their salvation. Um, well, Father, uh, some people don't believe that because um, they, they want to only believe the things that makes their flesh comfortable. But their spirit man knows better. And uh, Father, we ask that you open the eyes of your people who are blinded. Multitudes of so-called Christians are going to take the mark of the beast in a very short period of time because they think they cannot be lost, because they have not read the scripture for themselves to find out that that is a lie. And uh, Father, we thank you so much for opening the eyes of your people. And uh, we praise you, Lord, for getting the word out. Uh, we thank you for the wonderful support you give to us in order to get the word out to multitudes. We're reaching out right now to multitudes of people. Uh, and uh, we praise you and we thank you, Lord, that you will supply our every need according to your riches and glory. Praise be to God. And so that multitudes can come into the kingdom. Glory be to God. Lord, 
We love you and we praise you. We want to live in you. Draw us so we will run after you. Work in us to will and to do of your good pleasure. Lord, we praise you and we thank you. We know that this is what salvation is all about. That because of our faith in you and our confession of you, you will work in us your desires, your will, and change us into your image. Thank you so much, Father. We are so looking forward to this. As a matter of fact, we see the end from the beginning and we call it done. Uh, Jesus said, all things whatsoever you pray and ask for, believe you received them. That's right. It's past tense. And you shall have them. So, believe we received is past tense because we received it at the cross. It's already done. And it's just a matter of us reaching out and taking these wonderful gifts by faith. And they are ours. They were given to us and provided for us through the reconciliation of Christ. Reconciliation means exchange, by the way, an exchange of his life for ours. It's done. It's finished. It's the only thing left is for us to take this gift by faith and walk with it and confess it. Amen. All right, saints, thank you so much for joining us today. God bless you and keep you. And uh, bless Michael Hare and the brethren. Lord, uh, pour out your spirit among them, Father, in Jesus' name. And thank you so much for what you're doing. Amen. Amen. Good night, saints. Well, thank you, Brother David, and God bless you. Hello, saints. So good to be back with you. Let's go to our Lord God in prayer. Father, I ask for your anointing today to give out a message that I believe is very important, and that's the message of your Son, Jesus, and the name that he gave us. And, Lord, I ask that it would be a blessing to all who listen and that they would take it and utilize the power that comes from the name of Jesus. And I thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that's what I want to talk about today. And that is the name of Jesus. You know, as we take our privileges and rights in this new covenant that we're in and pray in Jesus' name, it passes out of our hands into the hands of Jesus. He then assumes the responsibility of that prayer. And we know that he said in John chapter 11, 41 and 42, he said, Father, I thank thee that thou hearest me, and I know that thou hearest me always. In other words, we know that the Father always hears Jesus. And when we pray in Jesus' name, it's as though Jesus himself were doing the praying. He takes our place. And this place is prayer, not only on legal grounds, but it makes it a kind of a, a business proposition. Because when we pray, we take Jesus' place here to carry out his will, and he takes our place before the Father. And he said that it should not only cover our prayer life, but it also can be used in our combat against the unseen forces that surround us. Mark 16 Verses 17 and 18, And these signs shall accompany them that believe, or literally, the believing ones. Every child of God is a believing one. 
In my name they shall cast out demons, they shall speak with new tongues, they shall take up serpents. If they drink any deadly thing, it shall in no wise hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Here, he's revealing his part in the Great Commission. And in that document, he says in Matthew 28 and 18, All authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. He says, I'm sending you out to make disciples of all nations. Matthew 28 20 says, Lo, I am with you always. Don't never forget that. He's with us all the time. He's with us in the power and authority of his name. And what does the name mean to the Father, to the church, and to Satan? Well, to the Father, it has to mean more than our hearts or our minds will ever grasp. But we can suggest a little of the wealth that the Father has stored in that name. First, he inherited a more excellent name than any of the angels as the first begotten son. Secondly, God gave to him a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in the three worlds. Third, by his conquest over sin, Satan, disease, death, hell, and the grave, he acquired a name that is above all names. When Jesus gave us the legal right to use this name, the Father knew all that that name would imply when breathed in prayer by oppressed souls, and it is his joy to recognize that name. So the possibilities in that name are beyond our understanding. And when he says to the church in John 14 and 13, whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, Folks, he's given us a signed check on the resources of heaven, and he's asking us to fill it in, glory to God. And it would pay the church to begin an exhaustive study of the resources of Jesus in order to get a measurement of the wealth that name holds for her today. Now, before we talk a little uh, uh, further about the name of Jesus, it would be well for us to know something of the man, see his standing in heaven, his achievements in the plan of redemption, and the glory and honor that belongs to him today as he sits at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now let's turn to Hebrews chapter 1 and verses 1 through 4. God, having of old time spoken unto the fathers in the prophets by diverse portions, and in diverse manners, which means a message here and a message there, hath at the end of these days spoken unto us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the effulgence of his glory and the very image of his substance, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had made purification of sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become by so much better than the angels, as he hath inherited a more excellent name than they. God spoke through men of old by special illumination of their mind, but in these last days he speaks unto us in the person of his Son. And it is more than through him. It is more than by him. It is God 
manifest in the flesh, carrying out his will, the Father's will, speaking his own inner thoughts in the life and acts of his son Jesus. And not only did he speak through Jesus, but more especially was God manifest in the Son. And it was God in Christ. And from this new throne, the body of his Son, he's speaking to a man in the new revelation of himself. And to this Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, who being the outshining of his very glory, and the very image of his substance, upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had made a substitution for sin, when he had satisfied every claim of justice and met every need of man, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, which is the highest seat in the universe. When God speaks through man, He must absolutely take possession of the man so the man will not use his own reasoning faculties. But in the case of Jesus, it was not possession. It was the eternal Son himself. He could say, Father, give me the glory I had with you before the world's were." He remembered his place in the Father's bosom. And he could say in John 16, 28, I came out from the Father... I came into the world, and again, I leave the world and go unto the Father. John 14, 9 says, Have I been so long time with you, and dost thou not know me? He that has seen me has seen the Father. He was the revelation of the Father. He didn't have to imitate God because he was God. Some men are born to a great name like kings. Others make their name great by achievements or have a great name conferred upon them. Jesus is great because he inherited a great name. His name is great because of achievements. He is great because a great name was conferred upon him. He inherited a greater name than any angelic being, and as a son, he is heir of all things, and through him the ages have been brought into being. He is the very outshining of the Father. His name comes to him as an inheritance and what it must have been to have inherited this name from his great Father God. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, we find, Wherefore also God highly exalted him and gave unto him the name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of the beings in heaven and the beings on earth and beings under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And if it tells us in Hebrews that he inherited a greater name than the angels, here it declares that God gave unto him the name which is above every name. The inference is that there was a name known in heaven, unknown elsewhere. And this name was kept to be conferred upon someone who should merit it. And Jesus, as we know him, the eternal son, as he's known in the bosom of the Father, was given this name. And at this name, every knee shall bow in the three worlds, heaven, earth, and hell. And every tongue shall confess that he is Lord of the three worlds to the glory of God the Father. And it's this Jesus 
who has given us the right to use his name. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 17, we find a prayer by Paul, and it's a most unusual prayer. He prays that the Father will open the eyes of our understanding, that we may know something of the riches of the Father's inheritance in us, and then that our eyes may be opened, that we may see what is the exceeding greatness of his power on our behalf who believe. And he declares it's according to the working of the strength of God's might, which was wrought in the dead body of Jesus when he raised him from among the dead. And when he raised him and made him to sit at his right hand in the heavenlies far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in that which is to come. And he gave him to be head over all things for the benefit of his church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all things in all. Folks, he not only inherited a more excellent name than any other being in the universe, God not only gave him a name before which every being in three worlds shall bow and confess his lordship, but here God has given to him a name which is above every name, and he has seated him in the highest place in the universe and has made him head over all things. Well, why did he do that? God has made this investment for the benefit of the church. He has made this deposit on which the church has a right to draw for her every need. He has given to him the name that has within it the fullness of the Godhead, the wealth of the eternities, and love of the heart of the Father God. And that name is given to us. We have the right to use that name against our enemies. We have the right to use it in our petitions. We have the right to use it in our praises and worship. That name has been given unto us. But that's only the beginning of the wonders and the value of the greatness of that name. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, we get here a deeper view of his conquest of the satanic forces just before he rose from the dead. It says, Having despoiled the principalities and the powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Glory to God. And the picture here is of Christ down in the dark regions of the lost in awful combat with the hosts of darkness. And it gives us a glimpse of the tremendous battle and the victory that Jesus won before he rose from the dead. In the margin it reads, having put off from himself the principalities and powers. Now it's evident that the whole demon host, when they saw Jesus in their power, simply intended to overrun him, swamp him, overwhelm him, and they held him in fearful bondage until the cry came forth from the throne of God that Jesus had met the demands of justice, that the sin problem was settled, and man's redemption was a fact, glory to God. And when this cry reached the dark regions, Jesus rose and hurled back the hosts of darkness and met Satan, in awful combat as described in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14. 
in order that through death he might bring to naught him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. In other words, after Jesus had put off from himself the demon forces and the awful burden of guilt, sin, and sickness that he carried with him down there, he grappled with Satan, conquered him, left him paralyzed, left him whooped and defeated. Glory to God. And the words that Jesus spoke are fulfilled in Luke chapter 11, verses 21 and 22. When a strong man fully armed guards his own court, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger man, Jesus, then he shall come upon him and overcome him. He takes from him his whole armor, wherein he trusted and divides his spoils. So when Christ rose from the dead, he not only had the keys of death and of hell, but he had the very armor in which Satan trusted. He has defeated the devil. He has defeated all hell. And he stands before the three worlds, heaven, earth, and hell, as the undisputed victor over man's ancient destroyer. He conquered Satan before his own cohorts, his own servants in the dark regions of the damned. And there he stood. In that dread place, the absolute victor and master of all hell. And is it any wonder that fresh from such tremendous victories, he should say to the disciples this, All authority has been given unto me in heaven and in earth. Glory to God. He stands as the master and the ruler of the universe. And his name now is above every name. And at his name, we can understand how every knee shall bow. And all this authority and power that Jesus gained by his mighty conquest is in that name. And guess what? He's given that name to us. The authority that he has won is delegated to us in the use of his name. And all he was is in that name. All he is today is in that name. And that name is ours. Jesus has given that name and that he might give it to us. He gave his name to us that we can carry out the will of the Father in this dispensation, which we're living right now. And we know the early church utilized this authority. The early church acted for Jesus in his stead. They wrought miracles, and their miracles opened doors for ministry and service. And it gave authority to their credentials a standing in the communities where they preached. They had the coin of the unseen kingdom. The omnipotence of God was invested in that name in the early church. And the disciples used it with a fearless abandonment that is absolutely thrilling. They believed in God. They lived and walked in the realm of the supernatural. It was the days of God on earth to the people where they ministered. And it could be for us now to look at the promises Jesus made in regard to the use of his name. And whatsoever you shall ask, listen to this, whatsoever you shall ask in my name, whatsoever, don't leave nothing out, that will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Folks, this is a striking promise when you realize that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father that Jesus holds the highest position in the universe as the head of the church. And here's the chart of promise in John 16, 24. Hitherto 
ye have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and ye shall receive that your joy may be full. Jesus says, Hitherto, or up to this time, you have never prayed in my name, but now whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he will give it you. And that promise right there is the most staggering statement that perhaps ever fell from the lips of the man of Galilee, that we are to have the use of his name, that name of omnipotence. He doesn't say if we believe or if we have faith. This name has been given to us. It's ours. What is mine, I don't need faith to use. When we are born into the family of God, the right to use the name and the privilege to use it comes with the new birth. All the authority vested in that name is given to us to bring glory to the name of the Father, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. This Son, who was an outcast on the earth and crucified, hung naked before the world. His name shall go ringing down through the ages. And wherever the shame of the crucifixion has gone, the glory and might and power and honor of that name will go. And wherever men have ridiculed Jesus, that name will go. Glory to God. Wherever men have cursed that man, that name will go with its omnipotence, its might and power, shedding blessings and healing and comfort upon the human race and honor and glory to God the Father. He is now to be with us in the power of that name. That name is to take his place. And all that he could do locally then can be done locally now by every believer. In other words, he multiplies himself as rapidly as he multiplies the church. For the weakest son has a legal right now to all the grace and might and power and blessing and health and healing and life wrapped up in the person who bore that name. All that Jesus was, that name will ever be during this dispensation. That name has not lost any of the power of the man who bore it. In these scriptures, we have seen that the Father has lifted him to the highest position in the universe. He has conferred upon him the highest name in the universe. And he has bestowed upon him honor and glory and power, and seated him at his own right hand in the heavenly, far above every known authority. And now all this honor, this glory, this authority, this power is vested in the name of Jesus. And this name is given to us. I just wish that our eyes were opened, that our souls would dare rise into the realm of omnipotence where the name would mean to us all that the Father has invested in it, and that we would act up to our high privileges in Christ Jesus. And this is, folks, this is practically an unexplored highland in Christian experience. Here and there, some of us have experienced this authority invested in the name of Jesus. We've seen the lame walk. We've seen the deaf hear, the blind to see, and those on the verge of death brought back instantly to health and vigor. But so far, none of us have been able to take a permanent place in our privileges and abide where we may enjoy the fullness of this mighty power. But we have a conviction that before the Lord Jesus returns, there will be 
a mighty army of believers who will learn the secret of living in the name, of reigning in life, living the victorious, transcendent resurrection life of the Son of God among men. And if our minds could only grasp the fact that Satan is paralyzed, he's stripped of his armor by the Lord Jesus, and that disease and sickness are servants of this man, and that at this voice they must depart, and it would be easy to live in this resurrection realm. You remember over in Matthew chapter 8, verses 8 and 9, when the centurion talked with Jesus, he said this. He said, Just speak the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man set under authority. And I say to this one, Go, and he goes. And to another, Come, and he cometh. And he went on to say, You have been set over diseases as I have set over these hundred men. And I'm called a centurion. So you are master over disease and sickness, over demons and the laws of nature. All you have to do is speak and your servants obey. As I speak and my servants obey. Well, folks, in this beautiful illustration, we see that the centurion had risen to a higher plane of spiritual appreciation of Jesus than most believers enjoy today. And it might be a helpful study for us to notice the name and the plan of salvation and its relation to the believer in his Christian life or his Christian walk. Matthew 1, 21 and 23 says, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. For it is he that shall save his people from their sins. In verse 23, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is being interpreted, God with us. The name Jesus is inseparably connected with salvation. The very name is filled with music to a repentant soul. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 says, And in none other is there salvation, for neither is there any other name under heaven that is given among men, wherein we must be saved. It's the one name through which the sinner approaches the great Father God. And it's the one name that gives him a hearing. It is the one name that unveils to him the intercessor ministry of Jesus. Matthew twenty-eight nineteen says, Baptizing them into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2, 38. Repent ye and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ unto the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Not only are we saved by the name, but the believer is baptized into the name. And we find in the same verse that not only are we baptized into the name, but on the ground of the name we shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus gave us these promises of the use of his name in prayer in John fourteen, thirteen through 15. He says it, Whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, that will I do. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. 
John 16, 24 says, Hitherto have you asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you shall receive, that your joy may be made full. In Acts chapter 3, 1 through 6, we hear Peter saying, Silver and gold have I none, but what I have, that give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Men are baptized into the name. Men pray in the name. And now in that name, the impotent and helpless are made to walk. Glory to God. In Acts chapter 16 and verse 18, we see the Apostle Paul casting the demon out of a possessed girl, setting her free and stirring the city of Ephesus to the very foundation. What power that name has for the church today if they would only grasp it and utilize it the way that God wants us to. Matthew 18 and 20 says, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. The assemblies were taught that when they met, they gathered about that name. And what a strange hush must have come upon the hearts of the disciples when they realized as they gathered in their little meeting that that name was the center around which everything revolved. That their prayers were addressed through that name. And in that name, the sick were healed. And in that name, the demons were cast out. And in that name, the Holy Spirit came upon believers. And in that name, they worshiped. And in that name, the name of their absent Lord, all the work of the early church was wrought. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17, they were taught to do all things in that name. Ephesians 5 and 20 says to give thanks always for all things in that name. Corinthians, uh, in 1 Corinthians 6 and 11, they were washed, sanctified, justified in that name. Hebrews 13 and 15, make confession to his name. James 5 and 14, anointing the sick in the name of the Lord. 1 John 3.23, and this is his commandment, that we should believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another even as he gave us commandment. The new commandment was that they love one another and believe in the name. And we can see by this that the name of Jesus touched every phase of the church life in those early days. That it filled a place in their thoughts, in their prayer, and in their preaching of which we are utterly ignorant today. And may the Lord open the eyes of our hearts that we may know the riches of the glory of God that are hidden in that name, the name that's above all names, glory to God. Now let's talk a little bit about what we are in Christ. That expression, in Christ, in whom, and in him, occurs more than 130 times in the New Testament. And this is the heart of the revelation of redemption given to Paul. Here's the secret of faith, folks. Faith that conquers. Faith that moves mountains. Here's the secret of the Spirit's guiding us into all reality. The heart craves intimacy with the Lord Jesus and with the Father. Folks, this craving can be satisfied now. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7 says, In whom we have our redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. It's not 
an insufficient redemption, but it's a real liberty in Christ that we have right now. It is a redemption by the God who could say, let there be lights in the firmament of heaven and caused the whole starry heavens to leap into being in a single instance. It is omnipotence beyond human reason. And this is where philosophy has never left a footprint. Our redemption is a miracle of his grace. It is according to the riches of his grace. It is a present tense work created through his blood. It is lavish. It is abundant. Our redemption is a perfect thing. And when you know it, enter into it, and your heart grows accustomed to it, there will be ability in your life that you have never known. Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Who delivered us out of the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have our redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Folks, you are delivered out of the power of Satan. You're free. It is in Him that you have your redemption. You have been delivered out of Satan's dominion. You have been translated into the kingdom of the Son of His love. You're free from the dominion of Satan. And the hour is going to come when you're going to wake up to the fact that he can't put disease upon you, that he can't give you pain and anguish in your body. The hour will come when you will know that want and poverty are things of the past as far as you are concerned. And you will shout amid the turbulence and the fear of other men, the Lord is my shepherd. I do not want He makes me to lie down in plenty, in fullness, and I am satisfied with Him. Glory to God. Folks, this redemption is real. Satan is defeated. Disease is outlawed. And want is banished. We are free, glory to God. John 8, 36. If therefore the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. That word indeed really means reality. We're free in reality. We are free right now. John 10.10 says, I came that they may have life and may have it abundantly. Well, what is life? Life is the nature of God. You may have the Father's nature abundantly. You are in Christ in the Father's presence. You are in the very realm of life. And this realm of life has in it the life that transcends reason. We have eternal life, God's very substance. In John 14 and 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He was unveiling his heart to us, showing what he can be to us in our daily life. He can be all that his heart of love desires to be to those whom he has redeemed. He can be reality to us. Our hearts have longed and wanted this, And he can fulfill every desire of our hearts. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1. Stand fast, therefore, and be not entangled again in a yoke of bondage. You know, the biggest danger of the believer 
is the possibility of his falling back into bondage after he has been set free. He leaves the realm of the spirit and faith and walks in the realm of the senses. As sense reason gains the supremacy, he loses his joy in the Lord. Folks, we are new creations in Christ Jesus, and we're finding out what this can mean to us. Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 says, Wherefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. This new creation fact gives to you all that it means to Jesus and the Father, whether you know it or not. Paul's revelation is filled with new creation truth. And it's God's dream for you to enjoy the fullness of this new creation's privileges. It says the old things are passed away. And that, what are those old things? Those old things are bondage, fear, doubt, want, sickness, weakness, and failure. They're all gone. And some of you out there say, that ain't possible. But it is. A new creation is just like the master. He is its head. He is the vine. You are the branch. As he is, so are you. Listen to what John 15, 1 through 7 said. He says, I am the true vine. And my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that bears not fruit, he takes it away. And every branch that bears fruit, he cleans it, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. So neither can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abides in me, and I in him the same, bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And if a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered. And they gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatsoever ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Folks, as long as you deal in doubts and fears, and as long as you sit in judgment on yourself, you're never going to arrive. You'll never enjoy these things. But if you act on the word, you will arrive. When you read all things have become new, start thinking of yourself as living in this new realm. You have been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. You have perfect fellowship with him now. There is an abundance of wealth that belongs to you in this new relationship. So be bold and act your part. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 says, We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. And if you are his workmanship, you are satisfactory to him. He's pleased with you. There's too many preachers out there that have preached condemnation and sin so long that we don't know how to preach righteousness and tell the people what they are in Christ. Very few are doing that. We are, praise God. When someone does tell them, they feel like it's a false teaching. They feel that anything is false teaching that doesn't honor sin and lift it into the place of Christ. You are God's new 
man. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 15, it declares that he brought into being the new man. It says this, Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, that he might create in himself of the two one new man, so making peace. And then Ephesians 4 and 24, And put on the new man, that after God hath been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. The new creation knows but one Lord. Jesus is the Lord of the new creation. A graphic statement of fact is in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. As therefore ye receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in your faith, even as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Glory to God. No longer are you a weakling. His strength is your strength. And we are so strong that we are to abound in thanksgiving. And when we stop abounding in thanksgiving, we deteriorate, spiritually speaking. Psalms 27 and 1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And then Psalms 23 and 1, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You swing free from this old prison house of bondage and fear and want of hunger and cold. You're out in the freedom of God. Hebrews 7 and 25 is Jesus' present attitude toward you. And it says this, Wherefore also he is able to save to the uttermost them that draw near unto God through him, seeing he ever lives to make intercession for them. He ever lives to make intercession for you. He's seated at the Father's right hand. Say it over again. He ever lives for me. And just as uh, the wives live for the man whom she loves, so in a greater measure, the Lord Jesus lives for you. He, he's got only one business, and that of living for you. And of all the wealth that is known to the human heart, There is nothing that equals this, that Jesus declares through the Apostle Paul that we are his righteousness. Sometimes it seems as though we we can't grasp that. We are his righteousness. How precious we have to be to him. He once became our righteousness. He once declared us righteous by his resurrection from the dead. Now he goes beyond that declaration and makes it a reality. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Him who knew no sin, he made to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We have become the righteousness of God in him. First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who was made unto us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. Praise God. Now listen to these three facts. Number one, he becomes our righteousness, Romans 3 and 26. For the showing, I say, of his righteousness at this present season, that he might himself be just and the justifier of him that hath faith in Jesus. Number two, he's made righteous for us. First Corinthians chapter one and verse 30. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, 
who was made unto us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Number three, we have become the righteousness of God in him. Second Corinthians 5.21 Him who knew no sin, he made to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. In Galatians 2.20 That life which I now live in the flesh, I live in faith. The faith which is in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. He loved me. He gave himself up for me. And that's God's love revealed here. He not only redeemed me and sanctified me, but now before heaven, he says, I am that man's redemption. I am that man's sanctification, glory to God. And then I can hear his voice rise in triumph when he shouts this, I am his righteousness and his wisdom. And that's all his work. It's not of man's works, lest he should say, I had a share in that. Your repenting, crying, and weeping had nothing to do with your righteousness or your redemption. You stand complete in him in all the fullness of his great matchless life. Romans chapter 8, verses 33 and 34 is the climax of the revelation of our redemption. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? You are God's elect. Jesus and the Father have elected you. And now he says, who shall lay anything to the charge of my own son or my daughter? There's only one person of any standing before the Supreme Court who could lay anything to your charge, and that's Jesus, and he ain't doing it. Romans chapter 8 and verse 34. Who is he that condemns? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather, that was raised from the dead, who is at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Can you see the magnitude of your position? Can you see the riches of the glory of your inheritance in Christ? You are in him. All that he planned in Jesus is a heart reality now. There's no condemnation for you. There's no judgment for you. There's no fear of death for you. Why? Because death is simply swinging the portals open for you to march in triumph into the presence of your Father. Glory to God. First John 4, 18 grips the heart. It says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. In Christ, folks, we have received eternal life, the nature of our Father, and that nature is love. That love is perfect. Our human love is imperfect. His love is agape, the love that makes life beautiful. You may not, right now, perfectly understand or perfectly perfectly enter into it, but it's His perfect love, and it's all yours now. 1 Corinthians 12 and 12 says, For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of the body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. We are so one with him that we are called Christ. The church is called the Christ ones. He is the vine. You are the branch. John 15, 1 through 8. And here's the fifth verse. I am the vine. You are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him the same bears much fruit. And as the branch is to the vine, so you are in the heart of Jesus. You are utterly one 
with him. And all this time you've been thinking about your sin, about your weakness, and about your failing. Listen to him whisper to your heart right now from Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. He says this, folks. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. If you are born again, you are in Christ. You are a conqueror. You're free from condemnation. You are the righteousness of God in him. You are the fullness of God in him. You are complete in him. The wealth of his glory, the wealth of his riches have never been sounded. Because you are righteous. There is no sin consciousness for you. There is no inferiority complex for you. You are now in Christ, the very righteousness of God. Now take a hold of it. Because now you can use the name of Jesus without fear. And you can do just like Peter did in Acts chapter 3 and verse 5 and 6. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, Silver and gold have I none. But what I have, that give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And you can swing free. Glory to God. John sixteen twenty three and 24. If you shall ask anything of the Father... He will give it you in my name. John 15 and 7 is yours right now. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatsoever you will and it shall be done unto you. You are in him and he is in you. His word abides in you. You are his righteousness. You are his life and you can do his works right now. John chapter 14, 12, and 13. Greater things than these shall you do, because I go unto the Father. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. Folks, take your place. You use the name to heal the sick, because his death was not in vain. His suffering was not in vain. You stand in his completeness, filled with his fullness. You're filled with his holiness. His grace is yours, folks. Hebrews chapter 4, 14 through 16 can become a reality in you. It says this, Having then a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Christianity is called the great confession. Your confession is what you are in Christ. All that has been said to you is reality. Just hold fast to it. Now, we've got an adversary that's going to try to make you deny your confession. He will try to make you confess anything other than this. And he will try to make you confess weakness and failure and want. But you hold fast to your confession. He says, my God does supply every need of mine. Philippians 4 and 19. You stand by that confession. Philippians 4 and 13. I can do all things in him who strengthens me. Confess it out loud. You make the declaration that he is the strength of your life. Confess it out loud to yourself until you get accustomed to hearing it. 1 Peter 2.24 Who his own self bear our sins in his body upon the tree, that we, having died unto sins, might live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. You died unto sins with Christ on that cross. You arose to walk in righteousness, and now by his stripes you are healed. When Jesus arose from the dead, healing belonged to you. 
Hold fast to your confession in the face of every assault of the enemy. That enemy is out there to do nothing but keep you from it. You rebuke it in the name of Jesus. You walk in the way of righteousness. And that means acting and living as though the word was spoken to you by Jesus. And that's the way of victory, folks. That is the way where you cast out demons and disease in the name of Jesus. Every disease that has afflicted a Christian could have been healed if there had been anyone who had dared to walk in righteousness for that believer, who would have dared to walk in the fullness of his privileges in Christ. That devil could have been driven out and healing could have been his. Hebrews four fifteen and 16. For we have not a high priest that cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmity, but one that hath been in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us, therefore, draw near with boldness unto the throne of grace. You are invited to come now to the throne room and sit with the Master and with the Father. And come in boldly. Don't come creeping in. Don't come slinking in. Don't come in confessing your sins either, complaining about your weaknesses or failures. Put on that new garment. Dress fittingly to appear before the throne of God. Because you are the sons and daughters of God Almighty without condemnation. And guess what? You'll find mercy and grace to help in time of need. Glory be to God forevermore. Well, folks, we're out of time. God bless you. I hope this helps you. And we'll see you next time, God willing. Can quench my thirsting soul. water made me let your streams of mercy flow, oh Jesus, I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For oh, your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus, I trust in you. That darkest night What will be my guiding light The shining rays of red and white Jesus, I trust in you O sacred heart in you I find Mercy seated for all time I am yours and you are mine Oh Jesus, I trust in you Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus, I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus. Jesus